Hello. I hope this email finds you well, and I hope you're enjoying a wonderful break over the festive season. I am very sorry, but I am morally and ethically obliged to share with you information that has come to light following the departure of a previous senior member of my team, Ria Mercado. In her employment with me, Ria was held in high regard and was esteemed amongst my team. One of my junior staff members, an occupational therapist, has recently informed me that she was directed by Ria to complete her Module 2 assignment on her behalf as Ria had previously failed in her efforts to complete. As a result of her completing it on Ria's behalf, Ria was awarded with a certificate of completion, a copy of which I have attached for you. It appears that Ria exploited her position of authority and seniority and the junior staff member has admitted to me her part in this and I am dealing with this internally as a breach of conduct with serious implications to her ongoing employment. I am available to discuss with you if required. Sincerely. This episode of Intelligent Rebellion is a deeply personal one. I have grappled for months and for years whether to share this story with the world, and if so, how do I do that? It was hard to return to and reflect on this story. It was difficult to write this episode and even tougher to record it. I battled whether to release it at all, though I know that now is now the time. And with the support and kindness from many, it's time for me to be courageously vulnerable. So here it is. In this episode, I'm going to tell you a story of when someone actively tried to sabotage my career. And although I have my suspicions about who the culprit was, it was almost a year-long battle and a wait until I was able to confirm my suspicions. It all started on December the 8th, 2014, during an exit interview, where I was abruptly asked to leave the workplace. And by leave, I mean immediately leave. I sobbed as I handed over the keys to the clinic doors in my fuel card. I sobbed as I ran out the door, instructed by the two directors of the company, along with this external HR professional, not to speak to anybody on the way out. I still remember walking down the stairs from the upstairs boardroom, past the reception desk, as one of the admin girls asked me if I was okay. And I just looked back at her through the window as I walked down the driveway confusion and sadness on both our faces. December the 8th, 2014 started like any usual workday for me, excepting that day I was scheduled to have my exit interview with the two directors and an external HR professional. I'd formally resigned from my position about a month earlier and I wasn't expected to leave until the usual Christmas break. On the way up, I saw some of my team and I told them that I shouldn't be too long and I'd have lunch with them after the meeting. One of the directors was running a little late and so I sat opposite the HR person and one of the directors. I remember him leaving and then returning with three glasses of water. I didn't get one and I remember having a fleeting thought that that seemed a bit strange. But, you know, I usually have my water bottle with me so I just assumed it was nothing at all. I'm not going to go into the particulars of the exit interview, but as I mentioned earlier, it didn't go exactly the way which I thought it would. Ambushed is probably the first word that comes to mind when I was sitting and listening to their accusations. And needless to say, I didn't go and have lunch with my team. 
In fact, as it turns out, I didn't have any contact with my team for at least the next six months. And this is where I want to do a huge shout out to those team members. You know who you are and some of them who continue to be some of my most beautiful, wonderful friends. I arrived home that evening and that was after hanging out with a mate because, you know, I was now unemployed to find a letter from a lawyer who was representing the directors and the company, which I had just been exited from. At first, I really didn't take it seriously in my mind. It was a disagreement and it was just a simple case of miscommunication and one that really could easily have been fixed with just another meeting. But I decided to reach out and speak with my friend Sarah Capello from Hunt and Hunt Lawyers, who told me that it was far more serious than I initially thought. I had now found myself in a legal dispute, hiring a lawyer and being jobless, all within a matter of hours. In my mind though, business is business. And although frustrating and annoying that I found myself in this situation, I trusted that Sarah would guide me through it and just let me know what I had to do. Hi, Ria. My name is and I'm acting head of school for the School of Health and Human Sciences. I understand you are currently undertaking the workplace rehabilitation module course being delivered through University for ESSA. You are currently enrolled in module three. A question has arisen regarding the authorship of your final submission for Module 2. We have been given information that you asked a colleague to write your final assessment for Module 2. The final assessment was not authored by yourself and there was no acknowledgement that the work had been written by another. This is a serious allegation and I am required by the university to investigate. I invite you to provide me with information as to your view of the authorship of the final assessment for Module 2. The information needs to be in written form. However, I am also happy to speak with you about this matter. If you wish to speak with me, please contact me on the mobile number below. I received that email on the 5th of January, 2015 at 5.27pm. Mind you, however, I had submitted that assignment in October 2014 and had been awarded with a completion. So I found it rather odd for them to contact me three months later after they were given some information at about the same time which I was going through a legal matter with my now previous employer. Look, I'm no Sherlock Holmes, but something smelt funny. By January 5th, 2015, I'd already been collating information, confirming responses and giving instructions to Sarah regarding the legal thing with the company which started on December the 8th. My eldest son was now 11 months old and I was exhausted. As I finished reading that email from the university, I broke. I cried uncontrollably. I was able to process the business legal matters, but this, this was a deliberate and personal attack to sabotage my career. And I had no doubt in my mind who had contacted the university. So after wiping away my tears, I calmed down a little bit, but I was pissed. As I've said, business is business, and that's one thing. But this, this was personal. I was fucking angry. I was so fucking angry. And so I did the only thing that I knew how, and that was to rally my community. 
I asked for more help and I went on about the work of clearing my name. I won't go into the specifics of my response to the university because that stuff is boring. I will say this though. I was cleared of any wrongdoing by the uni and the only thing which I'd overlooked was giving credit to the colleague who helped me peer review and gave me some feedback which I used for the assignment. As a part of my initial response to the uni, I also added the following three requests. The first was requesting a copy of the information that was provided and which prompted their investigation. The second was I requested to be provided with the source of the information which prompted the investigation. And lastly, I wanted a copy of the final report outlining the outcome of the investigation, any of the documents and information they had reviewed, and all of the persons involved in the investigation who may have been contacted or interviewed by the university. It was an afternoon in May 2015, and I had taken the day off work and sat in the food court down at Pitt Street Mall, and I chomped on some KFC Wicked Wings and some chips while Sarah and Will just calmly watched on. In a few minutes, we were going to be entering a boardroom in a really fancy high-rise in Sydney to enter into a formal mediation with two directors of the company and their lawyers. I hadn't seen or spoken to either of the directors since the boardroom back in December 2014. And as I ate my KFC and Sarah and Will and I briefly spoke and I told them that I wasn't going to be saying anything during the mediation because I would just leave it to Sarah to do her job. So as we sat on opposite sides of this large boardroom table in this fancy, fancy building, it didn't take long for the personal attacks to be hurled in my direction. One of the directors raised her voice, yelling insults and asking me rhetorical questions. But I, I was unwavering and unflinching, silent, head down, looking at the table. I wasn't going to entertain this. At one stage during this director's tirade, I wrote a note on a piece of paper and slid it over to Sarah. Sarah then stood up and she said, please do not address my client directly. Please stop with the personal attacks. Please refer all questions to me. Oh, as a side note, um, if you're wondering what the note said that I wrote to Sarah, well, that's just an in-joke between Sarah and I now, something that we just giggle about on our girly weekends away. So we're going to do some more skipping here. I'm going to skip over all the boring legal stuff. But by the time we left that fancy office, it was done. I was done with the business legal stuff and I could focus all my efforts on obtaining information about the university allegation. Again, business is business and I harbor no ill will towards the directors for pursuing legal regarding a business matter. I, I can let that go. But what I couldn't let go was this situation with the university. And although I had cleared my name and been cleared by the university of any wrongdoing, I just really needed to confirm my suspicions. I just could not let this go. On the 7th of May, 2015, after receiving my application form and my 30 bucks, the university confirmed receipt of my valid access application under the Government Information Public Access Act of 2009, which is more commonly known as GIPA. Now look, I had no idea what GIPA was or what it meant until I had to go through it myself. So for the sake of all you listeners, here is Will sitting in a bathtub drinking champagne to explain it all to you. 
In New South Wales, you have a legally enforceable right to access most government information under the Government Information Public Access Act 2009, the GIPA Act, unless there is an overriding public interest against disclosure. <sighs> what is the GIPA Act and what is government information? The GIPA Act sets out the rules about how you can access government information from New South Wales government agencies. Government information means any information contained in a record held by a New South Wales government agency. Government information can include records and data about how a government agency works or your own personal information that is held by a government agency. Importantly, there is a presumption in favour of releasing government information. However, some government information is effectively excluded from access under the GIPA Act, such as information about a court's judicial functions. The GIPA Act applies to New South Wales government departments, New South Wales local councils, New South Wales state-owned corporations, universities, New South Wales ministers and their staff. Between May 2015 and October 2015, the GIPA process continued. And so did my life. In February 2015, I'd landed a great job at a government department as a rehab consultant. And I write about this experience in my book, Compo, but here's a cheeky little snippet. While I was at that job, I was able to center myself reevaluate my career, look at my life and my goals while performing the job the way it was supposed to be done. The team I worked with were and still are an amazing group of people. They were welcoming, compassionate, empathetic and had a wicked sense of humour. The rehab team had a reputation for covering colleagues' desks, chairs, keyboards, pens and files in newspaper or aluminium foil when they were on leave. And when the manager told you not to sit at her desk while she was away, of course that was an open invitation to create a photo collage of everyone who worked on the second floor sitting at her desk. I learnt and witnessed firsthand what a truly worker-centric rehabilitation model looked like. This model is without time restrictions. It is understanding an injured worker's circumstances, motivations, fears and strengths. It is being interested in their story, their life, their heartaches and their joys. It is being timely and keeping your promises. It is also allowing myself to be vulnerable, transparent, honest and collaborative. I credit my relatively short time with that team for turning me into the consultant I am today. Look, I've called you all individually and you know who you are, but thank you. I have decided under Section 58.1a of the GIPA Act to provide you with all the requested access except to a limited number of documents containing legally professionally privileged information. I received this notice of decision in March 2016, almost 12 months after my GIPA application. The following was for disclosure of information. There is a general public interest in maintaining a fair system by which the university's processes cannot be used for inappropriate purposes and that person's identity be protected by the university when that becomes apparent. The consultation I undertook with the third parties as part of processing your application revealed inconsistencies with the picture that was presented to the university by the complainant initially and over the duration of the university's investigation and which strongly suggest that this is what has occurred. The following was against disclosure of information. Release of the information could reasonably be expected to prejudice the supply to the University of Confidential Information that facilitates the effective exercise of the university's functions. 
It is very foreseeable that if it was to become known that the university released the name of the complainant to you, that potential complainant slash informants would not come forward as they would see that their confidentiality slash anonymity is not guaranteed. In balancing the public interest test, that the university not allow its complaint system to be inappropriately used with complainants offered confidentiality when it appears to have occurred. I find this to be a strong public interest. The inconsistencies in versions of events related to me by various individuals in relation to my third-party consultations are highly suggestive of the complaints process being used inappropriately. In simple terms, the university will not allow their process to be used inappropriately, and in doing so, there is a greater public interest in giving public access to the information. The decision also commented, There was an objection by one person to the release of their personal information. The fact that an objection has been made does not mean that I cannot release the information requested, but does mean that I must take that objection into account when making my decision. I have therefore considered that person's objection when applying and balancing the public interest test. The university told me the third party had 40 working days to ask for a review of the decision to grant access and they did not make a request. At the top of this episode, I read out an email and that email was dated the 29th of December 2014 at 8.55am. It was a Monday, five days after Christmas and also the first day back to work for most people. The subject of the email was private and confidential regarding successful completion mod 2 and it was sent with high importance. I'm going to read the email out once again and again I'm going to omit the names. Hello, I hope this email finds you well and I hope you are enjoying a wonderful break over the festive season. I am very sorry but I am morally and ethically obliged to share with you information that has come to light following the departure of a previous senior member of my team, Ria Mikado. In her employment with me, Rhea was held in high regard and was esteemed amongst my team. One of my junior staff members, an occupational therapist, has recently informed me that she was directed by Rhea to complete her Module 2 assignment on her behalf as Rhea had previously failed in her efforts to complete. As a result of her completing it on Rhea's behalf, Rhea was awarded with a certificate of completion, a copy of which I have attached for you. It appears that Rhea exploited her position of authority and seniority and the junior staff member has admitted to me her part in this and I am dealing with this internally as a breach of conduct with serious implications to her ongoing employment. I am available to discuss with you if required. Sincerely. So here is an email dated Tuesday 10th of February 2015 received by the university written by the other director. I have omitted all the names to protect identities. Good morning. I've been asked to contact you on behalf of who is running a mediation today. Both her and I have followed up with our staff member, OT. Due to her young age, is fearful of repercussions both professionally and academically from her involvement in assisting Miss Mikado. does not wish to give a statement or put anything in writing. She maintained she assists and gave significant direction in regards to the assignment in question that she was pressured to do so by a senior member of staff because of multiple past failures on this particular section of course and assignment. If you have any further questions, please don't hesitate to contact me directly. Reading these emails did such great harm to my mental health. And even with the knowledge, or maybe because of the knowledge, that these accusations were so wrong and so against my core values and principles, 
As a side note, uh, when this OT was contacted by the uni as a part of their investigation, she was surprised and actually had no idea that she was even named or involved in the investigation in any way. I also later discovered that this OT was not under any internal company investigation for breach of conduct, nor did she provide a statement to any of the directors. Again, reading this particular email did such great harm to my mental health, mainly because I knew that they were false and antithetical to everything which I stand for, though my story is not isolated. What's happened to me has happened before to someone else, and unfortunately, it will happen again. Actually, not too long after mine was resolved, Sarah helped a friend of mine in a very similar situation. This experience made me doubt myself. It rattled my faith in humanity and broke my confidence in the industry. It revealed to me the worst in people and the worst in humanity, and it made me want to walk away from the industry which I absolutely adored. Through the legal battle and the Gipper situation, I was surrounded by a community of people who showed me unwavering support and compassion. My community carried me as I bumbled along and stumbling, taking one day at a time. They created a safe space for me where I could be honest and vulnerable. In both my personal life and my professional world, I was surrounded by people who held me close and whom I could and would fall into. A better story would be me telling you that I was strong and resilient through it all, but that, that would be a lie. I was wounded and battered from this experience. The situation almost broke me. It was just fucking shit. Looking back though, my experience over those two years has contributed to the way which I operate my businesses. Humanity, compassion and people first. It has also contributed to the way which I live my life. Humanity, compassion and people first. It's taken me some time to get here but here I am, once again, my passion for the healthcare and rehab industry ignited, finding my voice and sharing my story. For anyone out there who has been through something like this or are currently going through something like this, turn to your community. Let them hold you close. Fall into them. They are here. We are here. I want to give special thanks to Sarah Capello from Hunt and Hunt Lawyers. Happy birthday. To Fats, Joe, Scorchy Tash, Kay the Rubik's Cube Master, Viv, Holly, Eve, Jenny and the Cranky Bear. To Auntie Christy, Nadine, Lani, Ellie, Ness and Felipe. To the Avocado family, the Allen Killer Pythons family, the Cook family, the Grove Cafe and to my matey, Kimbo Bimbo. This episode is dedicated to all the people who've had to go through stupid shit. The Intelligent Rebellion Podcast is a Three Sticks production. It is produced, written, and hosted by me, Ria Mikado. Will is the emperor of sound, mixing, and editing, and is a talent behind all our original music. A massive thank you to my friend Yanni for lending us your beautiful silky voice for this episode of the podcast and also for being the very first subscriber of the pod. Thanks, Jan. This feels very different to when Margot Robbie did it. <laughs>